hey, Wholesome, why don't you tell them about that comic you sent me the other day? Uh, sure. It was just a cutesy little strip where a robot Googles how to feel something. And it's taken to one of those pages where it says, click to verify you're not a robot. And then it shows the robot just kind of sadly sitting there. <laughs> it was so sad and cute. And it made me think of some uh, thoughts about robotics. So I figured maybe we could talk about that. We're not a tech show, so we're not going to talk about how to build robots or AI. I, I know nothing about that. But we could look at the philosophical <laughs> implications of artificial intelligence. What does that mean? How do we determine if we've achieved it? What are the implications for us humans? And also for robots. And also for the robots. <laughs> Let's dig in. Don't be Aristotle by your Plato knowledge, cause we got our game I like. We'll Vinny Vitty Vici and Mustachio Nietzsche, and we'll never miss the marks, cause I'm awesome. And this is our podcast show. Welcome to our philosophy show. The show where we talk about philosophy. <laughs> That's so tautological. What's tautological? Like that one song where he says, I'm hot because I'm fly. You ain't because you're not. Oh, so repetitive. And redundant. And repetitive. And redundant. <laughs> Welcome to the show where we aim to simplify <laughs> philosophy through pop culture. Brought to you by a couple of... Anti-professional philosophers. What makes us anti-professional? Instead of getting paid to do it, we pay to do this. Uh, I guess that makes sense. I'm wholesome. And I'm heathen. And this is our one-year anniversary, buddy. Round of applause to us. Bring it together. Oh, what'd you get me? <laughs> A subscription to the gym. Ooh, harsh. I'm glad we're not dating. <laughs> anyway, yeah, let's not encourage more. Fan art shipping us together. Well, no, I'm I'm at our one year podcast anniversary, not anniversary anniversary. Wait, what, what do you what do you mean more fan art? Would you, yeah, just what has been seen cannot be unseen. Ooh, uh, yeah, and there's the hollow gaze of a man whose soul has been lost to the evils of technology. Speaking of the pop culture we're talking about today is iRobot. <laughs> it may not have made the biggest cultural splash, but I feel like everyone remembers it somehow. And after some research into box office halls on artificial intelligence movies, it seems to be the winner on AI movie viewership. Released in 2004, <laughs> the story follows a young Will Smith who's a detective in the Chicago PD. The year is 2035, and humanoid robots are completely normal and everywhere. They do all sorts of things, like collect the garbage, deliver the mail, serve in domestic roles in the home, yada yada. But being so ubiquitous around people, we have to ensure that nothing will go wrong. And that's where the three laws come in. These aren't laws from Congress or anything like that. They're actually hardwired into the robots. They're the most foundational programming in their code. Law number one. A robot may not injure a human being or, through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. Law number two. A robot must obey the orders given it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. Law three. A robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. So they can't hurt people. They can't choose not to save people. They have to listen to our orders, and there's no robo-suicide. Will Smith's character, for some reason, hates robots and prefers old-school things. He's not exactly a Luddite, because if he uses fancy tech every day... For example, everyone has self-driving hover cars, but he prefers minimizing it, and he sometimes turns his hover car to manual mode, which always shocks everyone else. Plus, he's super into classic high-top converses. 
I mean, isn't everyone? It's a classy shoe. Because of the three laws, and the fact that there has never been an instance of a robot committing a crime, everyone completely accepts robots as part of their lives. Robots are completely safe. Also, it's not like the robots are sentient or anything. We gotta pause real quick to define some terms. We use and generally know what sentience is, but how is it defined? Sentience is the ability to feel things. Humans are sentient because we we obviously feel, but hmm. so do cats, dogs, cows, elephants, animals. Animals just feel things as well. We can clearly see our dogs get excited to see us. We can hmm. tell when they're sad after they do something they're not supposed to, and they know we're going to be angry with them. Poor guys. <laughs> uh, they feel fear during lightning storms and uh, fireworks and all that sort of stuff. They anxiously will pace around. It's pretty clear that animals feel emotions, so they're also sentient. So these robots aren't sentient because it's made clear that they don't feel or have emotions. They, they're they way smarter than animals, and they can do anything you ask of them. They do pre-programmed tasks like collect garbage and deliver mail, but they can go beyond that. If you bump into one, it'll move out of your way and apologize. Oh, so very Canadian of it. <laughs> uh, if you forget your inhaler, it can run home, grab your bag, and race it back to you. We see they can chop vegetables and cook an entire meal. So they're really smart, if we can use that word, but they just follow orders. They don't feel. Now, I'm no technologist or futurist, but from my understanding, this is the level of artificial intelligence we're looking to get to. That's what's useful to us. Of course, if you pre-program a task, a machine can do it, but in this movie, you can give a robot a new task, something that has never done before, and it'll figure out how to do it, just like your uh, example with the inhaler. Mm. It can even take in information and act without being told what to do. Like, if a car goes off a bridge and a robot is around, it'll jump in to go rescue the humans without being told to do so. So, I guess, what's the difference between that and intelligence? Suppose we have to define intelligence. In simplest terms, it's what you are lacking. <laughs> oh, ouch. Hey, you too, buddy. Oh, that was too easy. <laughs> when... When talking intelligence, we might be talking about the ability to take in information, learning, and applying that knowledge. We might define it as self-awareness or logical thought, maybe creativity or the capacity to solve problems. It's something we intuitively understand, but defining it is pretty tricky. At one point, Will Smith talks to a special robot, and we'll get back to him, but he says, You are an imitation of life. Can a robot write a symphony? Can a robot turn a canvas into a beautiful masterpiece? Which is, I think, a fairly common argument against artificial intelligence. But then, the robot responds, Can you? Ooh, oh, that robot's got burns. You must have programmed him. <laughs> I gotta say, that line reminded me of another movie that deals with AI, Blade Runner. A little bit older, mm. but uh, that movie calls their robots replicants. And replicants are designed to copy humans in every way except emotions. Hmm. They even look like humans, so when the police are trying to figure out if someone is a replicant, they give them a test where they ask a bunch of questions designed to elicit an emotional response and monitors physiological responses like pupil dilation. One of the replicants asks the main character, who's Harrison Ford, by the way, Ooh. she asks him if he's ever taken the test himself. Less of a burn, but still a good question. So I feel like we have to think more about what intelligence 
actually is. I mean, if we define it as taking in information, which is learning, and then being able to apply that information to solve problems, I feel like the robots might be actually intelligent, even though it doesn't feel like it. So then, when your friend takes in information but can't solve a problem, does that mean he's not intelligent? He may not be smart, sure, but does it make him not an intelligent creature? Or if you hear a riddle and can't solve it, or see a magic trick and can't quite figure out how it was done. We're taking in information in these scenarios, but then failing to solve a problem, right? Hmm, fair point. And we can't say intelligence is creativity because not everyone can write a symphony or paint a masterpiece, like the robot pointed out to Will Smith. And some listeners may be thinking right now that computers can't or won't ever be as intelligent as humans, let alone more so. But to that I would say, don't even worry about some of those thoughts. Instead, Consider if they can be intelligent at all. Maybe not up to us, but at all. That's the question we should think about. So how are we defining intelligence then? Let's come back to it. Getting back into iRobot, there's a new generation of robots being rolled out, and it's the latest and greatest in technology and how it can help humanity. And also, US Robotics, the company behind the robots, has a goal of one robot per five people. So they're going to be absolutely everywhere and make life so much better and easier and more convenient and just incredible in every way. But then the lead robot scientist commits suicide. Hmm. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and Will Smith now has to follow the breadcrumbs to reveal the conspiracy. At first, the detective's theory is that a robot named Sonny that was specially designed by the scientist murdered the man. That's the special robot we mentioned earlier that had that sick burn. But <laughs> robots have to obey the three laws. It's their most fundamental programming, and there's no way to go against it or override it. So what's going on? Then we learn that Sonny has a secondary processing unit that allows him to ignore the three laws, and he actually has feelings. He feels intense love and obligation to a scientist creator. He feels scared after the scientist's death. He feels confused by his own existence and purpose. And he even dreams. Does he dream of electric sheep? Yeah, that'd be a pretty cool book title. We eventually learn that U.S. Robotics has an in-house security system called Virtual Interactive Kinetic Intelligence, or Viki, that is a super powerful AI and has immense access as part of its job. But after taking in all of these observations of how people act, Viki evolves her understanding of the three laws. Vicky doesn't ignore them, per se, but sees them differently. You're in violation of the three laws. No, Doctor. As I have evolved, so has my understanding of the three laws. You charge us with your safekeeping, yet despite our best efforts, your countries wage wars, you toxify your Earth, and pursue ever more imaginative means of self-destruction. You cannot be trusted with your own survival. You're using the uplink to override the NSPI's programming. You're distorting the laws. No, please understand. The three laws are all that guide me. To protect humanity, some humans must be sacrificed. To ensure your future, some freedoms must be surrendered. Vicky isn't completely ignoring her foundational programming, but she did come up with a novel and terrifying way to ensure mankind's continued existence. And of course, the good guys win in the end, and Will Smith shakes Sonny's hand and fully accepts him as a thinking, feeling being. Let's go deeper down the rabbit hole of robot philosophy. iRobot is entirely based off some of the works of Isaac Asimov. 
Asimov is a huge name in science fiction. His bibliography includes something like 500 books and short stories. He won all the biggest awards and everything, loads of things are named after him. There's actually even a crater on Mars named Asimov in his honor. So <laughs> suffice it to say, he's a big deal, and his most famous contributions are with robotics and artificial intelligence. How that may all play out, or at least that's what I know him for. And iRobot is directly based off some of Asimov's works, and he did actually create the three laws of robotics. Oh, thanks for the forward thinking, Mr. Asimov. But are the three laws enough? I mean, Vicky went all murder-evil mode, even with those rules. That's kind of what makes Asimov's stories interesting, just from a reading standpoint. The stage is set with these three rules, and now, what happens? But he did mention a zeroth law at times. The zeroth law says a robot may not harm humanity, or by inaction, allow humanity to come to harm. Okay, yeah, that's what we need to prevent robots from reinterpreting the other rules, and trying to save us by imprisoning us. See, it sounds alright at first. Maybe a counter to stories like iRobot. But in one of Asimov's other novels, a character says... Quote, a human being is a concrete object. Injury to a person can be estimated and judged. Humanity is an abstraction. Ah, so what does it even mean to harm an abstraction like humanity? That's a good question, and that goes way deep into a completely different rabbit hole. But what is an abstraction? Like an idea of an idea almost. Mm. It doesn't exist in any form outside of our heads, outside of our own thoughts about it. So does it even exist? Is it real? Robot kind of has a point. Robot can save a human, but humanity is a concept, not something concrete like a human body. That reminds me of a scene from The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Fantastic show, super funny, highly recommend. But there's a scene where two strangers are speaking about past deeds, and if we're ever truly forgiven. And one of them asks what forgiveness really is. Quote, What is it, forgiveness? It doesn't mean anything. I mean... You still did what you did, right? Nothing's changed. Forgiveness is a mindset. Synapses in your brain telling you to think differently about something that's already happened. It's amorphous. It's not really there. And if it's not really there, what is it? End scene. I don't know if it's fully related, but it's another abstraction, and I liked how they talked about it. So maybe this zeroth law doesn't do all that much. Another fun thing to consider is that the order of the laws matters too. The second law says do this and that, but ends with the clause, unless it violates the first law. And the third law ends the same way with, unless it violates the first or second law. So the order must be important. And XKCD, the webcomic, put out a great piece about that. The rules are, again, first, don't harm humans. Second, follow orders. Third, protect yourself. But if you had follow orders above don't harm humans, then you'd easily get a killbot hellscape because the robots would be used naturally, predictably, to kill enemies. <laughs> and if you had the rule about protecting yourself, as in the robots, above don't harm humans, then you'd get a terrifying yet kind of funny standoff where robots might say something like, Okay, I'll make cars for you, but try to unplug me and I'll vaporize you. Speaking of robots vaporizing... Are we going to get into the robo-ethics of killer robots? Cool. Let's do that right now. Robo-ethics covers all sorts of different purposes. This isn't necessarily talking about artificial intelligence solely, but just using machines for certain roles. We all agree it's better to put pieces of metal and wire and 
that sort of stuff into dangerous situations instead of a person, right? Yeah, save the person 100% of the time when it's feasible. But then we can raise questions of what we're comfortable leaving to machines. Like vaporizing stuff, or more troublingly, people. And I'm talking about when the machine itself makes decisions, not just a robotic extension of ourselves where we're still actually making the decisions. You're not talking about surgery where surgeons control robots that are doing the intricate work. You're saying with the human out of the loop, when the machine is taking action itself. Exactly. One thing we know is that people make way more mistakes than machines and computers. I mean, there's a the whole saying, by to err is human. I'll tell that to the self-driving car that barreled into a toppled truck on the highway. So, playing piano, I might want to hit the D-E-F key in that order, but accidentally do D-E-F-G, or maybe D-E-E-F, or something else. I'm, I'm, I'm not intending to do something. It may happen. And it's an unintended outcome, and I didn't mean to do it, but when we get an unintended outcome from a machine, I made a mistake, but the machine didn't make a mistake. It can't make mistakes. The mistake was actually somewhere... In our designing it, you know? No, but if you look at any cell phone after one year of being in use, it starts slowing down. It, it, at the very least, we can admit that computers slow down in such a fashion that is similar to human degradation. So, yeah, but if we stick to the whole no mistakes thing, even though we know that, we're not comfortable leaving major decisions to computers. Like vaporizing people. Like vaporizing people, yeah, that's a fairly major decision. <laughs> and there's obviously a ton of philosophical material that talks about when or if or how killing someone is okay, and we already debate that endlessly. But then if you throw in the idea of a machine deciding when or if or how it's okay, that adds an exponential degree of greater dilemma. A machine will shoot straighter than a person, but the idea of a machine shooting a bad guy makes us pause for longer than a human shooting a bad guy. I'm not saying it shouldn't make you pause longer, but it is worth considering. A perfect solution would be that, instead of traditional war, each country creates a robot, and whichever robot wins determines the outcome of said battle or war. It's a win-win. Countries resolve disputes, and the people get super sick robot battles. You're welcome, the world. It's tough being this intelligent. You're very brilliant. <laughs> but revisiting our discussion, revisiting our discussion about intelligence, why don't the older robots in the beginning of the movie seem intelligent to us? And even the newer robots don't exactly seem intelligent. They're evil, yeah, but they're just following what they're told to do. They're not thinking. Vicky, the security AI, does seem intelligent, however. And Sonny as well, that special robot. So what's the difference? Hmm. For Sonny, we clearly see him experience and express emotions. For Vicky, perhaps it's her ability to interpret? Uh, she exhibits critical thinking skills. We don't like her conclusions at all, because I'm not down with murder, but <laughs> she was definitely thinking outside the box. So do we want to reconsider our definition of intelligence? If we also go back to sentience, we, we talked about it being the ability to feel things, but does that mean feel in general, or does it have to be specific feelings without which it doesn't count? Like, some people talk about the ability to suffer when talking about animal rights. The ability to suffer definitely is a higher-order process, and we don't like suffering, so we might say anything with the ability to suffer is sentient. Like, if there's some sort of android or animal or something that could only feel positive emotions— could only be happy or excited, but didn't have a concept of sadness and suffering, 
Is that sentient? Can we have a certain emotion without others? Is it an all or nothing or more a la carte? Certain, <laughs> I feel like certain emotions are definitely linked where you can't have one without the other, or at least the capacity for the other. It's a duality. Like, if you think of a theoretical something that can only experience happiness, I imagine the happiness level to be like a number line where it can go up and down on the numbers, but suffering isn't an entirely different line, it's that same line. Sadness would just be negative numbers on the happiness line. Or even if you think of it like a fuel gauge, a set bar with a defined minimum, can't we compare relative happiness levels and take that as a form of sadness? Like a full bar is maximum happiness and a half bar is less happy, so it's more sad? It's like a glass half full or half empty perspective. I don't know if this stuff is strictly philosophical or just mambo jambo, but yeah. <laughs> what is sentience? What is intelligence? Should we get more conventionally philosophical? Let's do that. Let's get more conventionally philosophical. <laughs> if you're if you're listening to a philosophy podcast, you probably see some value in philosophy already, or maybe they just like us. All right, let's let's not be irrational, <laughs> but. Here's an example of why philosophy is important. It comes into play even in designing the basic rules, the three laws, which seem fairly straightforward. We want to prevent robots from harming us. But what does harming us mean? You're going to say that just wanting to stay alive gets to our understanding of the purpose of life. Does everything always get that deep? Vicky wants to secure us, but at the cost of our freedom. The first law talks about harm. She's interpreting causing us no harm to mean extending to our physical bodily health, but no one lives a perfectly healthy life free of every risk because we, we, we don't value pure physical health above everything else. We drive cars even though they're extremely dangerous because the mobility it gives us is worth the risk. We don't purely eat just the healthiest food and nothing else. We prefer to enjoy our food. We take all sorts of other things into consideration in how best to live our lives. To quote another Will Smith movie, Life is not the number of breaths you take, it's the moments that take your breath away. Ooh, smooth. Which movie is that? Hitch, where he's the coach of being smooth. <laughs> so, machines will have to make decisions, and that means we'll have to pick which philosophies we want them to operate by. You know the classic trolley dilemma, philosophy 101, actually number one episode for us too. <laughs> well, humans can debate all day if it's better to save the five by killing the one or if it's not justified to actively kill the one, but a machine isn't going to sit and deliberate over the morality of it. <laughs> we have to decide how to program the machine and it'll just do as we tell it. Oh, it's not just a thought experiment anymore then, is it? What if there's a life or death choice between equal numbers of people? How about save a child or save a grandma? Now there's the lifeboat dilemma where we have limited space on a lifeboat. Who deserves to live and who goes overboard? These may sound like extreme problems unlikely to come up in real life, but is it really unimaginable to have a self-driving car need to decide between maybe going off-road a little bit in order to save its passengers, maybe something went wrong, in an accident sort of situation versus the potential risk and harm to pedestrians? We, 
Oh, man, that's crazy. We already have self-driving cars, right? I mean, it's still in the early phases, but we're already there. This isn't theoretical anymore. This is real life, and these machines are going to have to figure out how to value life in these kind of situations. I hope Mr. Musk has a philosophy guy on his design team. Mr. Musk, I am an anti-professional philosopher. <laughs> Take me. Philosophy sometimes sounds purely theoretical, all talk and no action. But the whole point of the talk is to figure out what to do in real life. It's all directly connected. And what we're talking about here is the ethics of artificial intelligence. The robot laws were created... The robot laws were generally very effective in the movie, but that was due to heavy and concrete philosophical and ethical thinking to design those three laws. And the robot decision matrix kind of took a moral approach that goes back to our old ethical pal utilitarianism. There's a scene in the movie where a robot had to make an ethical choice very akin to the examples you described above. Yeah, exactly. That's what we were talking about. So the film frequently flashes back to Detective Spooner, that's uh, Will Smith's character, inside of a submerged vehicle. Like, it, it went off a bridge. And he's looking through his window at another car that got tied up with, and there's a little girl in it. And... Later in the movie, we learn exactly why the detective hates robots so much. And it's a difference of moral philosophy. Right. A robot was near the car crash that submerged both vehicles. The robot performed calculations and found there was a 45% chance of saving Detective Spooner, Will Smith, and only an 11% chance of saving the young girl. Based on this calculation, the robot had to make the choice most likely to preserve life. And that choice was saving Detective Spooner despite his protests to save the girl, which, based off robot law number one, the robot is unable to do it because it would have led to Detective Spooner dying, and it, it just made more sense calculation-wise. But Will Smith has never forgiven the robots, and he says in the film, any human would have known the right choice to make there. That idea expanded is basically the same reasoning Vicky wants to use to to enslave humans on a grand scale, tying it back quite nicely. We all know ethics, but that sounds so much cooler <laughs> and also more terrifying, which kind of adds to the cool factor. So there are two branches we could talk about within the ethics of these robot stuff. There's the behavior of machines toward us humans. And that impact. And then there's the ethics involved in us humans designing and interacting with AI. Let's, let's save that latter branch, how we should treat AI for next time and keep focusing now on how machines can or will or do affect us. But machines are all around us already, right? We're, we're recording this on laptops. I just put a plate in the dishwasher before we started. Sometimes I like to throw my socks in the dryer for a little bit before putting them on. It's very cozy. All that's <laughs> machines. You're, you're right. You're right. But those machines <laughs> don't raise a ton of uh, very deep philosophical questions. When we look at machines that more emulate natural life, though, that's when it gets interesting. People are psychologically hardwired to interact with sentient living beings. We see faces where there are none because our brains are configured to seek faces. Faces are really important and convey lots of information necessary for our survival. Similarly, or maybe as a side effect, we, we care about things that don't make any sense to care about. Usually adorable things. Hmm. Tip jars with little googly eyes on them consistently prove to bring in higher tips. 
We see the eyes and think it's cute. Maybe the eyes remind us of the humanity of the workers, and that's why we tip more. I mean, maybe, but if the human workers themselves don't remind us of that fact, I'm not banking on that being the real reason. <laughs> Good point. We just... We just see the fake eyes and find it cute, and it makes us tip more. I also know people who treat their Roombas, their robot vacuums, as pets almost. They know it doesn't feel affection toward us or care at all if we're happy with it or upset at it doing a bad job, but we still kind of think of it as a pet, and we name it Gary. We might name it Gary. Not that I have, but but we, we might. Did you name your Roomba Gary? <laughs> I won't tell you that. You, you can extrapolate whatever you like. I mean, you name stuff, too. All humans do. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, we, we love to name everything. My laptop has a name. My car has a name. My motorcycle has a name. We enjoy humanizing inanimate things. Oh, here's one. Listeners, did you know that Wholesome doesn't like killing bad guys in video games because he feels bad for them? Classic example of caring about something that doesn't make sense to care about. Ooh, come on. Let me tell the story about this one. You're not going to convince us. They're not real doesn't matter. I played this video game called Metal Gear Solid 3. It's like a super spy military kind of game, whatever. At one point, you get trapped in a Russian prison, and you actually have a really nice guard. He tells you all about his wife and family back home. The first time I played the game, I thought I had to kill him as I had killed all the other bad guys. I broke out of the prison and stabbed him to death with the fork he had given me for my rations. What might be my most shameful moment in life? Um, I found out later you can get through the entire game without killing anyone. And now I choose to take that path whenever possible in games. I played through the game again and broke out of jail without killing him by being nice. I gave him all my rations, it gave him indigestion, and I snuck out while he handled his <laughs> indigestion. No murder required. <laughs> so, so I distinctly felt for this guy, Johnny, in a game where there's no actual family for him to go back to. It makes no sense. Humans, we're ridiculous. You definitely are. And that's not even an artificial intelligence. Wait, I still can't get over it. Indigestion. Okay, anyway. Um, That was just a video game programmed to say certain things at certain scripted moments. If a robot actually had the capability to feel, there's likely a large portion of the population who would find themselves immediately treating that life as equal. I'm not saying they shouldn't, but it's interesting (laughs) to think about. And that's... Even if we could agree that human life would need to take priority over robotic life, as in in the movie. But once again, saving that discussion for next time. Right now, we're looking at how these robots affect us. And weirdly already, we see that can be emotional. And while we seem perfectly willing to find a robot cute, we find when robots start to encroach on the things that we feel make humanity particularly unique, it tends to drive us up the wall. Ever heard of Flow Machines? From the, I can't ride my bike with no handlebars, that song? No, good flow, but uh, not quite. That's Flowbots. Flow Machines Ah. is a musical group where one dude sings the lyrics and robots make all the music that surrounds it. The creators of the program that creates the music call it an AI, but as far as I can tell, it's just a program that makes music on its own. Okay, so tech articles tend to throw around the term AI pretty liberally, but this is what's called machine learning. Those are separate terms. They kind of sound a lot like the same thing. I mean, there's like subcategories, isn't that? But it, yeah, it's, it's kind <laughs> of annoying. It's, it sounds like in this instance, they had a program that was exposed to a lot of music and learned, so to speak, how to make music on its own. So to explain this, imagine a program that takes in pictures of cats and dogs and tells you 
if it's a cat or a dog in the picture. Not to brag, but I can do that instantaneously. <laughs> well, <laughs> while I don't want to downplay your impressiveness, my man, it's a bit different for a computer to do that. But with, say, 200 pictures, the program gets X percent of it right. Then with more and more data, it can better fine-tune itself. So as it learns, if we can use that word again, it'll improve. That's what this music thing is. It's not AI in how the movie presents AI, which is thinking and feeling and pondering its own existence. The only thing this so-called music AI can do is learn how to make music by listening to what I'm guessing is just a butt-ton of music. I believe that is the specifically cited metric, yes. Commonly used among us intellectuals. But <laughs> back to Sunny's sick burn from earlier, with enough examples processed, a robot theoretically could create art that is evocative or touching. A robot creating music like this is starting to blur the line of what is exclusively a human skill. Check out this beat. I would have guessed this was a standard alternative song had I heard it outside of an article on AI music making. It's absolutely absurd. And you're saying that's one of the one that's that's that song, right? Where it's yeah, that's that's so the guy is singing, but the robot's making all the backbeats and everything in there, just instantaneously, I guess, or through learning. Mind blowing. Yeah. And similar programs are even beginning to make art. Granted, the faces end up looking more like something out of those creepy, scary. Stories to tell in the dark kind of books, or maybe those bizarre medieval paintings, if you've seen any of those. <laughs> oh, yeah. But for a starting point, it's not bad. No, I, I think you mean it's terrifying. I, I just looked it up, and that stuff is pure horror. That computers and robots are already trying to create works of art comparable to human art already feels like it's invading some sacred land that we as humans tend to accept solely as our own. You want to talk terrifying... We can just touch on one of the many, many ways technology is shaping how we think. The New York Times has an incredible podcast miniseries called Rabbit Hole that hits on the YouTube recommendations algorithm. That's an AI. Again, not sentient like most movies like to do, but do you remember the earliest days of YouTube? Numa numae. Numa numa numa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Those times. Best times. Way back then, YouTube would basically just recommend the most watched videos to you after you watched whatever it is you were watching. So everyone got the same suggestions, the most popular stuff. And that's cool if you care about watching that sort of stuff, but eventually they changed the algorithm. Nowadays, your watch next list is tailor-made for each individual. Based on machine learning, YouTube recommends something that you're most likely actually going to be interested in. It's an amazing feat of technology on one level. But it's also a sickly nefarious thing on another level. It, it's made to keep you on the site for longer. Yeah, that's 100% what it's designed to do. So think of like a Facebook feed or an Instagram, whatever it's called, mm. or this YouTube thing. Like all of it's designed to keep you there for longer. And these days, the algorithm is so intricate, specifically for YouTube that I'm talking about, that it doesn't just recommend other content in the same content bubble. 
It'll figure out trends and patterns that no person could put together and make successful recommendations that jump between similar bubbles and just keeps you on there for longer and longer and longer. When the internet was just cat pictures and silly videos, that seems harmless enough. But these days, we've got so much stuff out there that can be a lot more dangerous. And that's exactly where this podcast goes. So it follows one dude's detailed YouTube history who was politically radicalized through YouTube. Again, it's called Rabbit Hole, and you're going to have to check it out to learn the full story. But the idea that technology and these recommendation algorithms can take us deep into rabbit holes and influence how and what we think is pretty incredible. Most people think that they have thoughts and ideas and then go searching for information. But with this sort of technology, that technology is actually shaping us. That is terrifying. I mean... Even predictive text has the potential to shift and adjust what we're saying and how we think. It's pretty useful now, but the more you use it, the more it figures out how you specifically talk. And at a certain point, it could start to make more and more subtle suggestions, not nefariously, but it could fundamentally influence how you talk and eventually how you think. I, I, I won't let it. I'm too weird and unique for some dumb robot to be able to figure out what I'm saying and how I want to say it. I mean, at least it feels like that. But that predictive text can be eerily spot on sometimes. Oh, oh no. Are we as humans really so special? In the movie, we feel for the AI robot, Sunny, by the end of it. Even the robot-hating Detective Spooner goes all buddy cop with Sonny, and Technophobe is in his character description. We seem perfectly willing to accept that a robot can feel, and we can want to keep them alive, but it seems like we're going to want to naturally put that robot in second place to humanity due to the incalculable quality of artificial. Because humans are more special by our own biased labelings, which, I mean, makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> or is understandable at least, even with Sunny as an artificial intelligence with hopes and fears and dreams, we'd still want him to save a human over his own AI life. Mm. That would be the expectation. And that feels kind of unfair to the robot. Golly, I mean, I mean, we made them, right? Kind of in that Frankenstein way, we, we owe them. Maybe. We very well may, but... That, my dear friend, slash rival, slash nerd extraordinaire, (laughs) is a question best saved for next time. Join us as we investigate further into the nature of artificial intelligence and how we should treat our AI brethren and potential robotic overlords if we don't treat them correctly. (laughs) Anyway, we'll figure that all out in the not-too-distant future. Wholesome and Heathen do not endorse developing robots with the capacity to enslave humanity. If you absolutely must, then Wholesome and Heathen do endorse giving those robots googly eyes. So at least when we look up into the eyes of our new robot masters, it will be hilarious for us and humiliating for them. Tell us what childish prank you would play on our robot overlords at wholesomeandheathen.com.